We would like to first acknowledge that we are on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional gathering grounds for many diverse indigenous peoples, First Nations, Métis, and Inuit, whose footsteps have marked this land and whose presence continue to enrich our vibrant community. In addition, we would like to offer some actions along with our acknowledgements, and we will be inviting other listeners to join us in those. We recognize that many of these are small actions, but we hope this makes them accessible for all. So that being said, we would like to start by committing to studying the Truth and Reconciliation Council's calls to action and to educate ourselves on what steps are needed to work towards reconciliation. You can find the link in the episode description, um, along with a link to a child-friendly version of the TRC's call to actions for your little ones. Hello, and welcome back to Research Recasted, the Knowledge Mobilization Podcast. I'm Brittany Eklund, and I'm here with my co-host, Dylan Cave. On today's episode, it's all about video games, digital transformation, and how empathy is at the root of it all. In studio today, we have two special guests. Dr. Isabel Sperano has a PhD in Information Architecture and Design and a Master's in Interaction Design. She embraces a systemic, social, and human-centered perspective on interaction design and information, and this approach reveals itself in her teaching and in her research, which focuses on digital products and services in large organizations. Our second guest on the podcast is Robert Andruco. Robert is an assistant professor and the chair of the Design Studies program here at McEwen University. His teaching focuses on user experience design. Robert's current research is about the philosophy of design, more specifically the role design theory plays in providing a strong foundation for design education and practice. Isabel, Robert, thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so the first thing I want to kind of get into is design. It's a very broad term. I think people think a lot of different things when they think design. Um, so can you just introduce us and the listeners to what you guys do and like what facets of design um, that you are interested in? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So design is very ambiguous, even within the field. I think there's um, different notions of what design is, how broad it is, how narrow it might be. Um, and actually, it's something that I studied in my master's. Um, it was specifically something I was interested in. What is design? Uh, similar to the question of like, what is art? Um, and um, so for for us and uh, the program, we had a discussion about it when we're creating the Bachelor of Design. Um, that I'm the, the chair of, uh, the, we, we felt like design, the, the trajectory that design is on for the last hundred years, design has been kind of known as an applied art. Um, so people typically associate design with architecture, interior design, fashion design, um, graphic design, um, all these disciplines that have some sort of connection to the arts. Um, where you're creating something that's maybe aesthetically interesting, beautiful, um, but is also tied to the everyday. Um, so in the case of architecture, you're creating a building that um, you know looks needs to look um, beautiful, but also has a function. Same thing with fashion design, same thing with interior design, and same thing with graphic design. So for the last uh, you know probably hundred years, going back to um, the Bauhaus school in Germany in 1919, um, this is how they 
would have kind of imagined design is that it's a kind of an applied, it's taking the skills from fine art and applying them to the everyday. Um, but in the last 30 years, design has um, broadened um, so that it's going beyond the, the beauty of everyday objects to now the kind of more broadly the psychology of everyday objects. Um, so in the case of architecture, it's no longer just thinking about um, how the, the form of the building fits with the function. It's really understanding how people think about the building, how, they, how they're going to use the building. Um, and so you really have to have um, a lot of social science skills and knowledge um, to bring to the fold. Um, and so this is very much the case in our Bachelor of Design program where we are situating design as both an applied art where still giving form um, to this product that you have to ultimately solve for someone. In this case, in our program, it's communication problems or digital um, experience problems. Um, and then uh, you have to combine that with um, really understanding the psychology of how people are going to be using these products. So in the case of a digital product, uh, in user experience design or digital experience design, um, you need to be thinking about uh, usability and usefulness of the product. Um, and then in graphic design, you need to be thinking about, um, if you're doing an ad campaign, you really want to understand what's going to actually um, uh, appeal to a particular audience. And so there's a lot of psychology and understanding what's going to change someone's mindset if you're doing like a, an ad, came, a, ad campaign to prevent texting and driving, as an example. Which, so, means, which means a lot of, of research to yeah. do um, with actual, actual potential users and yeah, doing all these, these research methods. Yeah. yeah, so you have to, so design is really shifted from, you know, designers being intuitive, artistic, um, people that really combine their artistic aspect with the kind of trying to think about solving this functional problem to now really relying on research and understanding your audience and doing research into these areas. Um, so now it's the combination of the applied art and the applied social science to now create this 21st century designer. So, um, and yeah, and then within design, there's all these sub-disciplines that are really... Um, divided by the outcome, the, the object that you're working on. So in the case of architecture, it's buildings. In the case of graphic design, it's typically communication, two-dimensional two communication products. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and then Isabel can talk a bit about uh, digital experience design or user experience design specifically. Yeah, so and in, in our program, in the design program, we have those two uh, main pathways where we do uh, graphic design and digital experience design, which is um, our, our specialty. So with digital product design, um, it's not about the, um, you know, Sometimes we, we hear people when we say, oh, we do digital experience design, they say, oh, you do programming. No, we don't do, uh, <laughs> so this is more the computing science part of things. We are interested in um, designing a product in a um, user-friendly way so that people would actually be able to use the product. We're also interested in actually, you know, is it the right product that we're building? Like, is, yeah. it, an, is it an app that um, the client need or is it more a website or is it more of a social media campaign? You know, that's... Um, Okay, yeah, I was about to ask, like, yeah. what is a digital product? But yeah. okay, yeah. websites, apps, social media campaigns, 
are there any other kind of like everyday examples that people might be like, oh, I didn't even realize that was. Yeah, it could be um, game interfaces. It could be augmented reality, virtual reality, um, designing for for screens. So designing for computers, for uh, mobile apps, but also now um, designing for anything that has an interface. So a printer, a coffee machine, you know, uh, a watch. Um, yeah, so, my yeah. printer literally broke yesterday and trying to go through their website and their, oh, we'll download this app and it will do this and do that. And it was so frustrating because it took me like eight hours to fix a printer. So maybe a little bit more effective. Yes, yes, yes. There are there <laughs> is still a lot of work to do with mm -hmm. these. Yeah, these interfaces for sure. OK, um, I think like that kind of gave me a better idea. One, one thing to add, though, is like yeah. in, in, the, in the case of digital product design, you know, we work with engineers, we work Absolutely. with computing scientists, we work with other disciplines. So our field is very highly interdisciplinary. When you're working on a, when a client comes to you and has a particular product or um, thing they want you to solve, um, it's rare that the designer's working on their own. They usually have to work in an interdisciplinary team. Um, but it's also really useful to know that design is distinct from engineering, is distinct from the fine arts. Um, so design is has, you know, design is a problem solving discipline, very similar to engineering. But engineering is a very technical, scientific uh, approach, whereas with design, we focus much more on the, the, the interaction between the person and the technology, whereas an engineer would really focus much more on the technology itself. Like mm -hmm. the coding and, yeah. and exactly. actually creating yeah. the pathways that work. And you're looking at the pathways of like ease of use. Yeah. 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 And we're interested more on what the people, what the person, the user will see and how they will use it and not necessarily about what's happening um, on the back end, not okay. that it's not important, very important, but um, yeah, in design, we're more interested in that interaction between the person and, and the product. And I think architecture is, has a good parallel with, uh, with user experience designer because an architect never works alone. They will work with uh, all sorts of engineers to help uh, build the building. Um, but the architect has that kind of broad it, architectonic, they have the uh, arch coming from the, the root word arch, it's they have that broad view of the whole product. They're able to put together what the user needs, the technical needs to give a whole vision to the building. And so a user experience designer uh, has that similar mm -hmm. role where they can provide a product vision um, and uh, have, know a bit about the technical, but also really know a lot about ultimately what the user is looking for in the mm -hmm. product. So like a kind of like architecture of the digital yep. landscape. Yep. Okay. Exactly. Very cool. Um, well, I think it is really great for the listeners and for us just to hear from both of you kind of about how you got to where you were and like what interested you in being a researcher and participating in like research rather than just, you know, working a nine to five, let's mm -hmm. say. Yeah. Um, well, first, what got me to... Um, digital product design, digital experience design. I came from a technical background at the, because it was, you know, early 2000, even, you know, 1999. So at that time you were doing everything. You were, you, you were coding, you were doing the graphic design, you were, yeah, doing a little bit of everything. And, you know, user experience was kind of a thing, but not, not really. Um, and then I got 
interested more into yeah how are the actual users going to be using the product so that's why I got interested more on that aspect of digital digital products um, and yeah I wanted to know more I was curious it was a new field and then I did a master's degree and then I I thought oh I need to know more so then I did a PhD um, and that got me more into into research and I realized that it's a very new research field, digital experience design, user experience design, interaction design, which, you know, mean slightly different things, but the same thing at the same time, just <laughs> yeah. so, you know, information architecture, all of that. Um, and I thought, wow, that's a very interesting um, subject because there's so much unknown and things are moving so fast and a lot of contribution that we can do with research that could be um, very helpful for research in general, but for practice as well so that's one thing that i'm interested in how do you bridge research practice teaching this is something that to me should all kind of go together and be complementary and um what i'm trying to do and i think yeah robert as well is to yeah fill uh, that that research part that could help practice inform practice and practice informs us at the same time mm -hmm. yeah. makes sense <laughs> Yeah, and the end goal is exactly the same for myself, as Isabel described really well. Um, my route to getting there is, uh, you know, my, my passion uh, originally was as a practitioner. So for uh, after I graduated in 2000 from the University of Alberta, I ended up working for the government of Alberta. Uh, sorry, government. We'll have to cut that out. <laughs> I don't know why I said government of Alberta. <laughs> Going back to 2000, when I graduated from University of Alberta, my first job was with the Government of Canada. Um, as at the time, it wasn't called user experience design, but effectively, that's what I was doing. I was doing user experience design. Um, we call it digital experience design, just to make it clear that we're working on digital products. So if you hear us use these terms interchangeably this during this podcast, that's why they're, they're just interchangeable. Um, and so for six years, I worked as a practitioner, then I started my own company, uh, Big Pixel Creative, and I worked on my company creating digital products for nonprofits, uh, political and environmental groups for uh, another eight years. Uh, and so I've, I'm, I'm passionate about trying to solve um, uh, these digital problems for clients, typically in marrying um, trying to see how communities can use digital products to help these, uh, these communities of interest. Um, and, uh, while I was doing all this work and running my own company, the, it was always clear to me that there was a significant gap in user experience design education, uh, in the province. And so that's why I joined McEwen in 2014 to, to build the, what we call now a digital experience design pathway within the Bachelor of Design. Um, and, uh, and so that's ultimately what, um, transitioned me into, uh, in academia during this, uh, you know, for 10 years or 15 years prior, I was teaching, uh, part-time one course a year, uh, but coming full-time to McEwen was a decision related really more towards, um, ensuring that there's really good undergraduate education in digital experience design. Um, and then, you know, over time you become, you know, when you're a full-time professor, you then have you know, research responsibilities. And so for me, it was a matter of trying to shift my, um, practice-based, um, orientation to now fitting into an academic, uh, context, um, 
where um, and so uh, I think Isabel described really well about kind of what the kind of ideal is for our, our kind of a research agenda where we mix practice with um, kind of a, a research orientation um, so that the work that we do can be um, shared and disseminated and you can build off the work that we're doing. And it's not just a matter of solving a problem for a client, but in addition, the work that we're doing can now be shared to other designers and other researchers um, mm -hmm. and has potentially a broader impact than just doing um, solving a problem for a single client. Yeah, more, yeah. more generalized. Yeah. And it's like really interesting that like you guys saw a gap. You both saw like this is like something that's emerging and to be a part of creating that and doing the research that's going to again feed back into how this stuff is being taught, I think is like really exciting and very cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're lucky. Like it's a very, the field is new. Um, you know, design is a, as a field in relation to other disciplines in the university is relatively new. Um, it's only been like a couple decades that you've even had a Bachelor of Design in any university. Um, still PhDs in design are fair, relatively rare. Um, there's not even a, a PhD uh, a design program in Canada yet. Um, so yeah. it's still relatively new. Um, and, uh, and that's design as a whole. And then there's digital experience design, which is even more new because you've, you really, the digital revolution is really in the eighties and then it grows in the nineties and yeah. now you have this mobile revolution in the, in the aughts. Mm. Um, and yeah, so, and for, yeah. and for a long time, digital products were more, um, you saw those in more in engineering program, human computer interaction, computing science, but coming into design that it's I would say fairly, fairly new. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I remember when there was like no internet and then you had like the big, the computer that was one block and the keyboard was that with the yellow screen and like, then all of a sudden we have the internet and then all of a sudden everybody's on it all the time. So it really, thinking about how users interact not only just every day but sometimes for hours yeah exactly and and at first it was more about well you have to have your website out there put it there whatever is <laughs> on there i don't know really i don't know how to mm -hmm, do this with We're, the ticker on the bottom <laughs> you know yeah exactly every everyone was kind of figuring things out and and i feel you know we're all Try, still trying to figure things out, but you know, things uh, have evolved really quickly. But yeah, now uh, we kind of started to wonder, well, oh yeah, it's great you have a website, but um, can we actually use it? And can we actually find the information that's on there? So yeah, this is where we come in. Okay, yeah. um, so the first kind of really cool thing uh, that we wanted to talk about was your guys's game mm -hmm. that you created. Um, so how did you guys come to work together and how did the game project tape form and like tell us all about it? Okay. Please and thank you. Uh, okay. So, um, well, I joined McKeown in 2017. So, um, well, Actually, yeah, Robert and the design program, they they hired me for four years ago. Uh, and when I joined McEwan, I wanted to start doing research with people here. I didn't know anyone, any any researchers. Um, so I went to the research office and um, Samuel Hugo there told me, oh, there's this guy in biology. He wants to, he would like to do a game in biology. Uh, he's called Ross, Dr. Ross Shaw. Maybe you can contact him. So I contacted him. We started working together. We started to kind of start 
trying to get internal funding to work on the game. And that was my first year at McEwen. So I also was I was also working with Robert on digital courses, digital product courses. I was talking about my research and we were getting along really well, Robert and I. So yeah, I I asked him, well, you know, would you be interested in in joining us in in that project? So, you know, we see how we how we work together. We see how we we know that we work well for um uh, curriculum development, but then yeah, maybe uh, we'd be a good research partnership as well. Um, so yeah, he decided to to join, mm-hmm. um, and then yeah, so for for the um, the video game, the the problem that we wanted to solve is that, um, and that was very important to Russ um, as well, is that there's lots of um, educational games out there for primary school, secondary school, but then when you get to university level, not that many games. Uh, there's not that many games, and the ones <laughs> that are out there are not very fun yeah which kind of is normally is the purpose of a game so we wanted to um to try to find that right balance between fun and learning um and that's one thing that was interesting for us it was a good good problem to solve um it was our first experience in creating a video game um so it was also a big big challenge on on that aspect um we wanted to create a video game also that would be created by students. Okay. So for students, by students. So um, one thing that is important for me and I think for Robert as well is how mm-hmm. we can integrate students in, in research. So um, we hired design students to do um, to work on the game concept, to do all the visuals, animations, um, and then computing science students to program the game and music students to do the music. So all the music is original, done by um, music students from McEwen. Okay. Yeah, yeah um, I was actually supposed to be part of that project. Oh, were you? Yes. I, well, I, I had applied. I got turned down. Oh. I, did, I didn't get to work on the project. I was sad about it. But anytime somebody needed help, I was always there to uh, pop in for s- sound effects, recording sessions, and fun things like that. Um, I w- was hoping I could... Well, maybe this is after we finish the conversation about like how it got started and everything like that. Uh, I want to know where it's at now. Yeah, I want to yeah. know how I can sure. go and play this game because sure. I, I, I want to. Do I have to be in biology to play it? Nope, no, no. Well, we're we're finishing it this this summer. Uh, it's been a long long process. Um, I bet. So yeah, one of the reason being that. Um, student well we have a heavy teaching load during the year yeah. so it's mainly during spring and summertime and same thing for students they don't have a lot of time which you know is completely understandable during the year so we've actually been working on it more in you know may june july times yeah yeah so now it's almost ready there's a um, website life life on the edge game okay and we can link to life that on in the, the comments game. Okay. Life on the yeah. Edge. Yeah. 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 Com. Yeah. Okay. You can't um, play it yet. There's, there is, it yet. A, there is yeah. a trailer that you can watch. Uh, yeah. And uh, but the hope is is that we would launch the game this fall. Um, we're in conversation with the textbook publisher to see if we can um, get the game distributed that way. If not, then we would just uh, distribute it ourselves. And so that's uh, currently the thing that we're waiting on. And we're just doing final um, game testing. 
Uh, balancing. The, yeah, balancing, uh, yeah, which is obviously, which is something new for us. It's very complicated. So we have a yeah. lot of a major appreciation for game developers and how much work mm-hmm. is involved there. Yeah. Um, Lots of bugs also. Yeah. So like, it works with different, on different platforms. Yeah. And how yeah. many times have you guys played through the game at this point in time? Like, oh, just a guess. <laughs> like, a hundred, a thousand. <laughs> Zero. Have you, have you yeah. played? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we have. Well, I have trouble getting um, at, at the end of the game. So, that's the balancing the balancing aspect of it okay so that some some of us are able to finish it some able some are not able to finish it yeah and can we talk a little bit like about what the game is or is it like under wraps because i think no it's uh, well our episode is going to be airing after its launch potentially potentially so this this game could be out right now if you're listening the one thing i saw was keeping a cell alive and that to me sounds like such a fun exciting like you have all these games where people have their you know, the pets survival, on their phone or little mm-hmm. gardens that they keep alive. So, yeah, tell us about the game itself. Yeah, like. so we, the the first task um, when we worked on this project with Ross was he was teaching Biology 107, uh, which is a first-year biology course. It's the required course that any biology student would have to take. Um, and uh, there's all sorts of different things that you could potentially turn into a video game in that uh, Bio 107 curriculum. And Ross didn't have a particular uh, portion of the course that he thought would be great for the, for the game. And so the first task was for us to look at the textbook and uh, actually identify, okay, what is a good candidate for a game here? Um, we weren't going to turn the whole course into a video game. That would be way too complicated. Um, we didn't have the funding for that. And this is our first video game. So we wanted yeah. to start something small um, that, uh, that was something that we could chew on for our first game. And so we ultimately identified that um, the cell membrane um, and um, the enzymes involved uh, in the cell membrane and how, um, how the cell interacts with um, uh, the, um, the things outside of the cell uh, and those interactions was uh, really interesting. And um, we thought that it could lend well to actually a tower defense game. Um, and so tower defense games are, a, you know, a subgenre of video game where essentially you've got waves of enemy enemies coming towards like a home base or something. Mm-hmm. And your job is to uh, set up towers to potentially defeat these enemies to create a bit of, um, you know, obstacles for them to make it, you know, have it so it's slower to get to the, uh, uh, the mm-hmm. clash of clans. Yeah. I think yeah. is was a yeah. popular exactly one. Yeah. yeah so that's a tower defense game and so um, so we thought that worked well and it was relatively unique we didn't know of another game out there that was like that um, and also I would say that it's a tower tower defense type of game but at the same time we have towers that are not defensive some of them they are because you actually need to get some things in like mm-hmm. water like nutrients so these things need to get in but some other things uh, like bacteria like viruses you don't want them to get into the cell so it's not only about um, defending yourself it's about maintaining the balance and kind of understanding um, students they see in their textbook um, different aspects of a cell of the cell membrane but the goal was for us for them to be able to understand how everything is connected and how this balance is actually pretty hard to um to keep and to kind of understand that yeah this is one cell and this is happening throughout your body for Mm -hmm. all all your cell all the time so yeah this totally reminds me of a video game that i um just 
have seen in passing. Um, it's about evolution, I guess. And you start as a little amoeba or, or a little mm-hmm. little tiny cell. Yeah. And yeah. you you as you go, you pick new traits and you absorb um, new things, and then you evolve and into another creature, and then it's like you evolve into a weird fish and then yeah. you gain new things and then you <laughs> all of a sudden you're on land and you have six legs and yeah. you're you know it's 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 just like an evolution that game, game was definitely that was in our um our list of games because when we, we when we do digital product development we always look for other um good examples of and so that was so we for the first month uh, one of the tasks for the students was to research other games whether they were educational or not mm-hmm. uh to find okay what are some good ideas that we could borrow from um and that game was definitely one of the ones that was in there um it was not necessarily it wasn't explicitly an educational game uh, that no. was really more <laughs> for a general release yeah. um but that that one definitely had um yeah like th- those that was one of the games that we were interested in for sure yeah and in our case it stays one cell you always yeah. have your but your cell gets become stronger and stronger and yeah. enemies they become stronger and stronger as well oh i like um, that yeah <laughs> you so need a good that, adversary yes yeah yeah, and speaking of adversaries, it, it just so happened mm-hmm. that when we were initially developing the game, we decided that um, the kind of the more difficult enemy to defeat was going to be a coronavirus. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, but that was before. Yeah. We didn't even know us yeah, so what a coronavirus COVID, was. We, yeah. yeah, so we were um, prophetic here in knowing that ultimately that when we launched the game, we would have dealt with a year of pandemic and uh, wow. uh, yeah. and a coronavirus. So I that mean, is the ultimate enemy timing. you have to defeat. Oh my God. Yeah, so when even when the student designed the the, um, the virus, we'd never really seen all of these images that now we, we see of coronaviruses. Yeah, the little spike ball. So yeah, exactly. So that wow. um, yeah, that character, that enemy <laughs> that she designed. Well, yeah, that was totally her research, but n- not at all um, influenced by um, everything that we've been seeing. It I didn't mean, exist then. It kind yeah. of like makes sense. Like epidemiologists, like we do have a history of coronaviruses, I guess, mutating. So mm-hmm. that's some good research um, done. And I guess when you guys do another game, we'll all have a heads up on what's coming. Um, <laughs> so the game is going to launch this summer, which is very exciting. Fall. The fall. fall. Oh, the, sorry, the fall. Late, late fall, yeah. Um, what's next for the project after the game launches? Because I know you also, something that's really interesting about this is you're not only just looking at it as a game that educates students, but like something that informs like teaching methods can you touch on that yeah well um now that when the game will be out we're now interested in knowing how does it impact learning so um this is a project that um Actually, it's more Rust that kind of leads that part of of the project, but it's it's already started. Um, we uh, have a we've started a partnership with a professor at Concordia University who is uh, more specialized in educational technology, and yeah, we're starting to work on a study where we look at different aspects of learning. Um, motivation how does it motivate students or how does it motivate um what's the impact on learning so this is the next next step for the game Hmm. it's going to be launched on all platforms it's it's delivered through a web browser so we wanted to make the game as accessible as possible so we didn't want to have students 
because the this is only two weeks uh, during a whole course. Um, and so we felt like it would be too finicky to have students have to download it onto a phone or some sort of yes, device. Because that's Xbox. super annoying to yeah. always have to download mm-hmm. an app and then you're giving it permissions yeah. and like no one's reading through the full permissions because... Yeah, so th- thankfully you can develop games so that they're delivered through what's called WebGL and so they can just be delivered through any browser. So you just go to a website and you can just start playing and there's nothing to install. So it's really quite mm-hmm. convenient for yes. the instructor and then the students. That's awesome. Um, Easy peasy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so then something else, like another project that was really, really cool um, was the acting techniques for designers. Mm-hmm. So can you... Tell us a little bit about um, how you came to the idea um, and what the project is about. Yeah. So um, when we uh, design digital products, we um, we want to know more about the users. We want to know more about how they would use a product. And um, pro- digital products are not only used when you're sitting at a desk and using a computer anymore. So they can be uh, mobile devices. There could be, it could be, yeah, designing for a digital watch or it could be so people are in movement and people. So it's not only about what they, what they think they would be doing. It's about what they actually, actually do. So there's a lot, there's a physical component to it that is more and more more and more important. So uh, we've seen methods, um, new methods um, um, in uh, that are that designers are using more and more, like role playing, like uh, a method that's called body storming, which is a little bit like brainstorming but with with your body. Um, and in one of my courses, I've tried these techniques. Uh, to see what kind of information uh, the designer could get by trying to play as if they were the user or use their body to do kind of brainstorming. And I quickly realized that while it sounds really cool to do that, well, we don't have any acting training. So there was really quickly um, kind of a blockage and on my end as well, because I'm not, I'm not an actor. So yeah, role play or do an improv. Oh, I don't know. And then you kind of end up stopping taking notes and not really actually acting and, yeah um yeah immersing yourself <laughs> yeah so um i went to talk to uh, lee uh, rivenbark from oh. theater prof- theater professor here at McEwen, and we were uh, discussing that together and um we started to build a workshop for uh for design students so teaching them acting techniques so basic acting techniques so they would be better after to do these other methods and to see yeah what they can learn from um what they can learn about their users um, using these acting techniques because these techniques are in theater are there to um to get to impersonate someone mm-hmm. and then you get some information there when you start impersonating um, a character you get some information that are um, more physical information um, that yeah. are very different than if you uh, just ask questions or do interviews it's different it's more analytical as here it's kind of more information that comes from from the body um, yeah and something like I wanted to talk to like both of you about is the role that empathy plays Mm -hmm. in design and what you do. Because this whole project, correct me if I'm wrong, was to help designers 
build empathy for users, which will help them design better. So if you could just explain like why that empathy is so critical when you're designing um, for the web or mm-hmm. for for, for any digital, yeah, yeah for any, any digital, digital product products. or any, yeah, any product, you know, you are designing for for people. You are designing for people that are that might be very different than you. So you need to be able to be in their heads or to kind of understand their mindsets and to understand their context to be able to um, to design for them and to make the right decisions. Right? You're not. Um, if you are designing only for yourself, you would make very different decision. If you're a very tech savvy person, if you, um, you know, like these types of uh, of apps uh, and, you know, know a lot about them where maybe your users, they, they don't know about it yeah. or maybe they don't really like technology, but they have to use it. Um, so that's why uh, building empathy is extremely, extremely important. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's. Uh, one way that we uh, that we're trying to get students to um, yeah to build empathy in a different different way more physical way okay. that's awesome yeah. I, I just had to jump in and, uh, and like we we're gonna have Lee as a one of our guests for oh. a podcast as well um, sometime in late September for our uh, to get him into the studio but I had no idea that uh, that was with with Lee. So that's yeah. Very, well, probably, I love how everything's just connecting. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. yeah, maybe he'll want to talk about it. Well, his... definitely. I think it's like interesting to approach like what each faculty um, is going to get out of it. But I know that like when I was reading through it, I was like, oh, like I never thought like empathy building was so important. But when you explain that, like you don't just have to think a lot of times we will say something, ask a question, tell someone to do something and assume that they have the knowledge that we have. So mm-hmm. I think that that's really cool and interesting. Um, do you think that some of the techniques that you guys um, came up with will be actually integrated into McEwen's? Um, well, we actually have, uh, we've run these workshops already twice in our, our design courses, Okay. uh, in one of our design courses. And this year we even, uh, we partnered with, um, two designers from Laval University in Quebec City. So, uh, Jacinthe Roberge and, uh, Niel Cararubio, and they also run their workshop in their, in their classes. So, um, yeah, we saw kind of how, how it went and and how students reacted. And we gave that workshop also in um, Interaction Design Education Summit to uh, to instructors, um, yeah, to see how, how they would react and what they would think. And the answer, well, yeah, for some students love it, and it kind of opens something new to them, and some others are... Um, maybe more a little bit more introvert which is a little bit like me mm-hmm. uh, which is why I was interested in those those techniques where they're like oh this is really taking me out of my my comfort zone um as others are yeah it's taking me out of my comfort zone but I I love it and for sure I it's something that I will reuse or the whole time they were doing their project they would tell me well you know I know I know my user now and every time I'm kind of trying to I'm trying to uh, work on a new functionality or think about the project that I'm designing I'm trying to act a little bit like the person would to see if it would give me more more information you'd think that it would be helpful too with like accessibility Mm -hmm. um, because again a lot of times you just assume that like everybody has the same body so I think that that's 
really cool. And how did it go over like in Laval and, and how has the reception been? Do you guys think it's working and making better designers? Uh, yeah, well, uh, we think we think it's working. We think that um, students and um, instructors that we've um, done the workshop with are are curious about it. Uh, it's kind of the beginning of something because every time, even in the field of design, when we say, yeah, acting techniques for a designer, at first they're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Why? And then we explain it and it, instantly they say, oh yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. But there's not that many people out there that are doing that a little yeah. bit, but not many. Um, embodiment has been a big topic in, uh, in design, but using actually acting techniques is um is fairly new i would say um yeah so um lots of things to to explore like we're thinking about exploring for um if we're designing more for what we call speculative design so design futures designing for products that don't exist oh and that goodness. might exist in like 10 years <laughs> yeah. where you don't actually have users that you can talk to so if you can try to act like them then maybe you can uh it would help you anticipate to their you, needs yeah, yeah. Exactly. minority yeah. report but like for good <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> well hey minority report was supposed to be for good you oh know? okay maybe they, i missed that was supposed to be the good <laughs> Uh, Okay, well, I think here is a good place. We're going to take a little bit of a break uh, and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk all about your guys' current project. Yes. um, Digital experience design in large organizations and digital transformation. Are you a Fudge fan? If so, Gene Persky's got your back. If there was ever a guilt-free fudge, this would be it. Handcrafted in small batches in Sherwood Park, Jean makes every batch with fresh ingredients, including some from her own backyard, and it contains no preservatives. You can find her fudge at the Griffin's Landing Convenience Store at McCune University, as well as the Otwell Farmer's Markets on Thursdays, and the Confetti Sweets Retail Store in Sherwood Park also stocks it. 40 years of fudge can't be wrong, so get it right now. Okay, we are back. This is Research Recasted. I am Brittany Eklund. I'm here with my charming co-host, Dylan Cave. And in the studio today, we're sitting with Isabel Sperano and Robert Andruco. And we're talking about design and digital transformation, which is a very exciting digital transformation. Um, yeah, so you guys are working on a new project. Tell us all about it. Um, and let's start at the beginning. Where did it, where did it start? So after the video game, uh, Isabel and I, you know, we had talked about that the video game was kind of our first project that we wanted to uh, see how we work together. And, you know, it, it, it's been very successful. It's been great working together. We have a good, um, uh, good partnership. And so we wanted to identify what's kind of the next uh, research area that we wanted to focus on. Um, I, I had already talked about the fact that I'd worked for six years in the government. Um, I'm really interested in how digital technology can be used for the social good. Um, and Isabel also has, uh, in her own research, has done work with the government in Quebec. Yeah, um, and on really large websites and digital mm-hmm. ecosystems. Yeah. And so we we were really, we thought that kind of... Um, uh, the next research area that we wanted to focus on would kind of mix these skill sets that we had 
Uh, we wanted to work on problems that um, were maybe a bit more complicated than just doing a single website or a digital, a single product. Um, we wanted to look at kind of a, a, a whole ecosystem of digital products um, and either in the health space or in the government space. And so we, uh, for a couple of years, uh, starting at around kind of, I don't know, 2018, we were um, looking for a potential partner, whether city of Edmonton or government of Can uh, Alberta. And um, we ultimately approached the city of Edmonton. Um, and and uh, about a year and a half ago, we had initial conversations with them about um, this research area that we're interested in and wanting to partner with the government on working on um, on these kind of more lar more complex digital problems. And um, at the time, we weren't exactly sure exactly what it would look like, but we knew at the time that the city was still uh, relatively a newcomer when it was when it had to do with user experience design in relation to digital service delivery mm -hmm. uh, in and, the city. And when we talk about digital transformation, it's about the fact that more and more services are offered online or are offered through digital means. So companies and government, they're uh, shifting more and more um, and they want citizens to be able to um, get access to those services using um, yeah, online online media, uh, digital media. So that's there's different terms again, yeah. but digital transformation is uh, is one of them. Um, right now, the term digital transformation is linked more towards on the technology side of things, but um, we, we're seeing more and more designers that are interested in, well, it's okay to design for one product, but how do you make sure that, you know, that whole, that whole ecosystem works well together? Yeah, so and it's I just want to, like, clarify, yeah. when you say a digital ecosystem, like, in the context of this project, does that mean like all the services that the city of Edmonton offers. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Okay. All the services, all their platforms, their websites, their apps, their social media. Okay. Their, like, so everything like everything digital. digital. Yeah. Yeah. And mm -hmm. you know we're looking at non-digital a, li a little bit. How kind of it integrates within all of that. But yeah. Yeah. So it's obviously very complicated. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's very wide scope. Um, and so we're still very early stages with the city of Edmonton as it stands right now. Uh, but so far, it's been a year in and it's been quite successful. But uh, yeah, there's a lot here to chew on. And I think it's a very important topic because obviously our world is becoming more and more mediated by digital technology. And um, and when it comes to this, the government, um, yeah, like in terms of digitally serving, um, providing services digitally, it's a, it's a big transformation. And getting a, an organization that's 20,000 people shifting to delivering services that were normally done face-to-face -to, -face to now doing it digital requires a whole rethink of how the organization approaches service delivery. Um, and so the city, you know, without having user experience designers in the city, um, they have a lot of engineers and computer scientists that know how to build these digital products, but in understanding the, the human side, of how to deliver these services through digital products. That's where that, that's a gap that the city has and they wanted to work with us on helping them build that capacity. Okay, something like, what about COVID? Like did COVID-19, did the pandemic kind of have any effect? Like, because I know two years ago when it hit, 
you know, government websites are trying to offer benefits or offer information and it was a mess and everything was crashing or it would redirect you to this page, to that page. Everything was very unclear and I feel like... They really had to rush to get all this stuff together <laughs> yeah. to, to be able to offer these yeah, services. And, and a lot of that was the provincial government because the provincial government has uh, the, the responsibility in, in relation to health uh, service delivery. Yeah. But a good example of what happened in COVID was the um, when you had to book a vaccine. Uh, for example. And so the um, the first vaccine appointment that you had to make, the first time the government launched their website to allow for booking of uh, vaccines, um, it immediately crashed. Uh, and it was, so they had built the tool and the tool worked, but the problem was is that they didn't think about the fact that it's going to be, you know, so ten, yeah, tens of thousands time. of people coming at the same time. <laughs> and yeah. so thinking about what that experience is going to be like for every all kind of user not just the tech tech savvy but what about your your grandmother who's 80 years old and yeah. how are they going to book a vaccine when they don't really know how to use the web and also when the web breaks down it's even more stressful it's a very stressful situation i had i i had to help my uh, all of my relatives book a vaccination because it was so complicated my grandmother doesn't even have internet yeah like they they have tv and the, the home telephone mm. no cell phones that's it. <laughs> yeah. And so this shift from, you know, and so that's a really great example of where, um, you know, citizens are expected now to get that service through a digital means, uh, but not all, all citizens are ready to do that. Yeah. And in a user friendly way, because even, you know, the ones that are more tech savvy, well, they're used to using all of those platforms and that are user friendly. So when they get to a government website, they're expecting the same same level of yeah. efficiency. So and I might take this a little bit politically for a second here, although they ask us not to. I just want to ask, do you think um, now with all these health services being offered online, but again, my grandparents don't have internet, should internet be a basic service that should be provided to every person for like a base level for free? Well... Yeah. Well, yes, if it's if it's possible. Yes, it would be, um, I guess. Do you think yeah. it's necessary because of what we just come across? Everybody like everyone needed to book these things online. Nobody could go in to do mm. these things. It was I mean, that's nice. But also like we pay for water and we pay for electricity and heat. So I don't know why we would give people. Well, not we as in I'm not giving it to them but it's an interesting question i think mm -hmm. that like access to the internet and information is a human right but, but it's it also brings something else that um it's great to build great digital tools but it's also important not to forget the ones that are not going to go online mm -hmm. so you know that's kind of it's not a simple question uh but then yeah it, it, this means it's digital transformation but it's not only digital you know it has still has to have some kind of physical component okay and where will that physical component be yeah so. and i guess like what i wanted to know about COVID 19 was if you guys like how did you why did you want to do this and did it have anything to do with watching how users were coping when there was an explosion of online no, like with, no. like this. Yeah, this research topic was something that came at least a year before COVID. Um, okay. It just so happened that, yeah, in the middle of COVID, then all of a sudden this the topic of digital transformation becomes urgent. Yeah, really urgent. Mm -hmm. um, and so and in, we just started actually working with the city when COVID hit yeah. because we meet in per we met in person 
with yep. them maybe a few times and then COVID hit and then yeah. we, we did all the work. So another yeah. soothsayer moment for you guys. <laughs> yeah, it was really, yeah, just fascinating. And the, um, and the city at the same time was also, while we were engaging them in this first year of kind of feeling out what research topics we wanted to work on specifically, they were also going through a significant reorganization internally about how they deliver services um, that um, I'm sure was impacted by uh, COVID as well. Um, and, uh, so that, yeah, the timing worked out really well. So the, so far the, um, mm -hmm. yeah, this confluence of COVID and then the city reorganization, and then just where the world is going in general, in terms of our world becoming digital mediated, um, this research topic is, is really important. Okay. I think really like the, the most beneficial thing that I can say that's come out of the pandemic is this this like almost renaissance of push for everything online um like i've i've been very lucky to get more work as a videographer because and i'm not a videographer but i've had to kind of adapt and evolve um but i think that there's like a lot of positives that really got pushed through even in the university setting there was a lot of um a lot of projects that we uh that i've been lucky enough to work on as a research assistant where it's like, okay, now that, that this pandemic has hit us, it's actually freed up some resources that were otherwise busy. Like the campus was closed for a while and students were mostly online. So it allowed us to do a whole bunch of cool things. So I take a lot of positives out of how fast things got moving because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think this this situation is also one mm -hmm. of those things. We may need a research project on how to make Blackboard a little bit well, they, yeah, they just they've, they've acted. Blackboard's no longer a thing. Oh, it's no longer. Yeah, they're okay. they're they're moving all to uh, in a year. Yeah, yep. yeah. But the, the, whatever platform we use, is, you're going to have the same issues mm -hmm. for sure. Um, uh, yeah, the um, yeah. I was gonna I was gonna say something. Forget it. Yeah. No. Okay. So we. Oh kind yeah. Of, the one thing I wanted to say yeah, is yeah. that uh, just the like it's important for user experience designers to not always be techno optimists. Um, so hmm. we don't always see technology as the solution. Um, so we do teach our students and in our own research, we always want to be quite skeptical about um, is digital technology the better way to you know, solve this particular problem. And so I agree that with COVID, there's absolutely been a, a, like a, an opening of opportunities. Um, but we also are need to be aware of what are the significant downsides of, you know, rushing to going towards a digital de service yeah. delivery, uh, whether it's for teaching or whether it's for government service delivery. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you touched a little bit on kind of, you know, you guys coming to work together on this project, you're a year in. Um, can you tell us about the project itself and your guys's process? Like walk us through the actual research that is happening here. Yeah. So, um, at first, we, Robert and I, we knew what we were interested in, you know, broadly, uh, digital transformation, working with large organizations, but what exactly we were very working on a complex, complex problems, but what exactly we didn't know. And we didn't want to start this research agenda by kind of pushing something that we, we didn't know would be useful. So we really wanted to, um, go from um, the bottom up. So when we went to talk to the city, we had nothing in mind and we just wanted to do something together. So um, we had a kind of practice-based approach um, that is um, kind of a 
participatory approach, which okay. means that um, we're not coming as researchers saying this is what we want to do. We are going there. We have a discussion. We it it took a few months, six six months, I think, of you know meeting sometimes on a more regular basis and sometimes a little bit less, but just to understand them, to have conversation, to understand what the city is going through, what's their context. Um, they talked they talked to us about potential projects, and then every time we would we would meet with them, we would talk, Robert and I, after, and say, okay, so this actually could be more a project that we integrate in one of our classes. This could be more a project that actually they they could just go to um, to a company to, uh, to to do that type of project. Oh, but that one? Oh, that's an interesting one for, for research. So we kind of, we, we were discussing on, yeah, what were the potential opportunities and where they would fit uh, within our kind of teaching uh, and research ecosystem. Okay. Yeah. So that's how it, uh, it started, really from the yeah, ground up. Which is unusual Which is, for it's yeah, a kind yeah. of a non-traditional yeah. approach to research. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is, you know, uh, which you see in um, uh, social sciences and social work. Um, I'm not an expert in, in those fields, but yeah. um, this is what I saw in term, when I was doing the research on how to actually do that, uh, do that well. And uh, in design, design of digital products, um, research in that field, it's not really something that you see, uh, that you see a lot. So um, yeah, it was uh, kind of a yeah, new, new approach. I mean, one of the things that I see a lot in the in our, our own department, like the music department themselves, is the the idea of research creation mm-hmm. and this this idea that you know you you work with community partners and stuff like yes. that, and and your research is um, documenting the work around your community partner. Yeah, exactly. And that's what we called um, or practice led or practice based research, which means that. Um, Research informs practice, but the practice also informs the research and it kind of works all, all together, which fits well with our backgrounds, with yeah. our interests. So, yeah. I love that I definition of, of research. You know, it is cyclical. And I think that's one of the most beneficial learning practices, at least for myself. Mm-hmm. And it's even more than practice and research. It's kind of practice, research, teaching, that's kind of yeah. the three the three mm-hmm. things that you want to be all working together. Okay. Um so when I was reading through the project or the information you gave me, mm-hmm. um you guys talk about mapping the digital services and then those maps will be used by the city. Mm-hmm. What do you mean when you say mapping digital services? Could mm-hmm. you break that down yeah. for us? Um, so um, what we did with um, the city and with uh, one one student that we that we hired that did an um, amazing amazing work uh, Emily Linnea Emily Len- oh, Emily Lenny sorry um, we um, she went to look we we started to discuss uh, with the city to see whether they had an idea of all the digital platforms and all the digital channels they were using, if, if they had any idea of, you know, how many and how they're used. And they were telling us that actually, no, they don't really know. They don't have a, an a ecosystem view of all of their digital platforms. So our students, what she, uh, what she did, she, um, 
She went on the website. She looked for other websites. She looked for all social media, all Facebook accounts, all Twitter accounts, every um, yeah Instagram account that is more that is linked to the city or to a service uh, with the city. She looked at all the apps and she tried to kind of find everything and make a list of everything, kind of an inventory of all um, all the yeah digital channels. Um, there were a lot, uh, <laughs> and then we started working on. Okay, so we have that list now. Um, how can we show that list instead of just having kind of this? Excel spreadsheet, what could it look like, what should it look like to kind of help decision makers or just to actually give them a better understanding of what's actually out there and what citizens are seeing from the city. You know, uh, that's how many communicators actually get information from the city. So what is the information they're getting and where are they getting it from? And yeah, how is the city talking actually to, um, to its citizens? And having that inventory was useful for the city because they didn't yet have that inventory mm -hmm. and they didn't have that broad view. Uh, it was useful for us because we were still early stages in understanding the city and its ecosystem. And so for us to give advice to the city on digital transformation, we knew that the first couple of years we needed to learn as much as possible about what does the ecosystem look like. And so this project was uh, a good mini project to start off with because it helped us understand mm -hmm. the city's context. Uh, but it also is providing some value to the city as well because yeah. they actually didn't have the inventory. Yeah, yet. <laughs> and it started as a, you know, our idea was a, yeah, it's a small project. But then we started realizing that it was actually a lot bigger than we than we expected, which is very yeah, usual for research that ecosystem maps or uh, channel, digital channel maps, they kind of. There is this one term, but it means many different things. Uh, and there's no norms. There's no there's not one way to do that. So our goal is also to kind of start reflecting on how do you build these types of maps so it could be useful for um, other cities or other um, other government organization if yeah. they want to build or any you know any companies if they want to build these types of ecosystem. What what could the norm be? What would what would it look like? What's the protocol? What's the process the to build that map? Standardization of know, it wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> yeah, there's not there's nothing. So we're really far from it. But okay, yeah, yeah like something that I'm kind of having trouble wrapping my mind about around um, is so you make a map. Mm -hmm. Does it just show how users flow from one site to another? Um, and then, like, how is that useful from a practical standpoint for mm -hmm. the city? Like, yeah. would they then give that to their coders, web designers? Like, who's using that information? Mm -hmm. um, and, like, yeah, how is it being used? Yeah, it's a really good question. And we... Um, we identified the potential users of a product like this, um, and we determined that it was um, managers um, that would need to make decisions, high-level decisions about um, allocating resources. So, for example, you know, Edmonton.ca. That's a major digital uh, uh, vehicle for the city. Um, but then there's you know, Twitter accounts. There's individual applications, and so. Um, it's useful for the city to see, okay, what are they? Um, and then also how much are they being used by users? So that's one piece of data that we wanted to add into this inventory is actual usage of these products. And then how much uh, kind of output the city is putting into yeah, it. How, much how work active, you know, how active is that channel? So, you know, it's there, there's the Twitter account. Do they post once a month or have they stopped posting, you know, two years ago? Or if they post... <laughs> 
many times during the day. So um, that was another piece of data that we kind of tried to tried to get and to put in there. So it's un- it's unlikely that designers and programmers would ultimately be using this uh, this ecosystem map. Okay. Maybe at some point they might be. Um, you know, like this is early stages for this ecosystem map, but we know for certain already off the bat that. Uh, managers in the city already are finding it useful. This is something that they did analytic type purposes. Exactly. And, um, and, and it's not, um, you know, it's a, kind of an initial investigation tool. It's not to give a definitive answer on potential weaknesses in the city's digital transformation strategy. It's just to identify that there may be something that they want to investigate more into in detail. Um, but that still is a really useful tool because they, up until now, they just did not have that. Yeah. And if you want to have a to start or to embark into digital transformation, well, at first you need to know what you need to transform, you know, and what yeah. you what you're working with here is it two or three websites, or if it's like a hundred different platforms working together or not working together. So you kind of need to know what you're dealing with at at first. So that's that's the goal for that that tool to actually see what you. Uh, what they what they have right now and okay. does it mean some channels are um really um are really well used so maybe there needs to be more resources that goes towards those or maybe then some are not really used and maybe they're not that useful so they could be you know they could be mm-hmm. removed or there could be some some push so they become a bit more popular so you know what do you do with all of this <laughs> yeah like neural pathways in the brain like exactly. are there ones that are just not being used mm-hmm. that are gonna die off and then you got like a exactly. big beefy one over here yeah. <laughs> but now yeah. it's done more organically and uh, with with this tool the goal is that it can be done a bit more you know uh, consciously so okay they they know what they're dealing with so mm-hmm. what's next like what are the next steps now that you guys have taken this inventory um you're looking at how to create maps to have them be as useful as possible like what's the long-term goals for this research project um yeah that's a good that's a good question because this is more of a it's more of a research agenda for okay. us than a research um, project. So, so we, uh, sorry, yeah. I just want to stop you there because, so what's the difference between yeah. an agenda and like one project? Yeah, so a uh, research agenda, well, in my in my mind, is more something that you develop over time that has lots of research projects. Okay, in, okay. You know. uh, so that's kind of the beginning of this research agenda. One thing that we're working on as well, another project that is, you know, from the very beginning, we're trying to understand what we're we're dealing with here so um, we're working on um, a literature review on where design fits in digital transformation where designers fits uh, within an organization when there is a digital transformation where are they are they at the right place could designers mm-hmm. help more and where can they help more and what type of responsibilities or roles they have at the moment which ones uh, could they have what kind of skills do they need which goes back to our teaching are we teaching the right skills for when organizations are going through digital transformation and what type of skills should we uh, should we help develop and build through research and then teach so yeah that's kind of the overall goal um yeah the goal here is to continue working on this map because there's you know lots of things that we realize are a lot more complicated than we were anticipating but also we're continuing this partnership this fall looking into um 
yeah, other other projects or other you were kind of back into listening mode, I think, and seeing, you know, what what they'd be. Yeah, what we'd be interested in. I think one thing is to understand what's happening also in the organization. Yeah, the people yeah. side, because we yeah. yeah, like the inventory is more about the assets. Um, not about the people. And so the people that are maintaining all these assets is really critical. Uh, and like Isabel had mentioned that, you know, it's you have all sorts of people that have to maintain all of this infrastructure. It's, you know, obviously um, computer programmers like IT, uh, people in the IT background. But then you have communications people, you have, um, you know, business oriented uh, people, then you have designers. Um, and so we're very interested in where does design fit in to all of that? Yeah, because uh, traditionally government would see digital transformation as largely more of an IT, uh, a computer engineering, yeah. computer or science management. Yeah, yeah, or management problem. And so design is oftentimes kind of forgotten and it's not clear where design would fit in. And so that's really um, we think is a gap. Um, in digital transformation and government. Um, and from our initial literature review, it, it does seem like it is a gap. And so that's something that we want to be able to help the city build capacity and other institutions as well. Yeah, and I think that this project, this information visualization project was one a little bit kind of one hypothesis or one solution where designer could fit is that we are good at showing things that are invisible, showing them, making them more visual to get them to be more, um, yeah, easily understandable. So that's kind of one one solution, one thing that we wanted to try with this uh, with this first project on top of uh, wanting to understand the the organization. Yeah, and so the limitation is if you're if if designers aren't um, having a significant uh, role in digital transformation, the potential is, is that it means that digital service delivery may not be user friendly, may not be there, like they, it may yeah. work, it may actually, it, you could eventually get the job done, but it may be really frustrating for the user, it may be um, not a great experience. Um, and so that could be the potential limitation of not having designers having a more significant role in digital transformation. Yeah, and it all comes back to like that empathy that we talked about and mm -hmm. not just looking at things from a how to code it, how to make something physically yep. work, yep. but how to make it work from like a psychological and like mm -hmm. bodily yep. physical. Yeah, mm -hmm. but instead of, of being just one product, it's more, it's many products. And instead of just focusing on these products is... How are you actually using on these products and how do you interact with yeah. them? So, Cause, so yeah. oh, go ahead. Go I ahead. was just going to say, so do you see this um, kind of like opening the city's eyes in a sense where now they might be now employing more designers and becoming like you're, you're creating with with this user inter like user design um, consideration. What like more people in the workforce like hiring more designers um user experience creators user experience <laughs> creators thank you user experience designers, designers. Oh, okay. <laughs> user experience designers. i was close i wrote so you putting more people that are starting to study this designers everybody into more work like you're creating more work for people mm -hmm. like okay. in a good way yeah <laughs> and i think you know maybe even yeah, indirectly, because when you have more people that have these skills, well, um, I, I come from um, Quebec City where I was teaching there. We have a, they have a master's degree there. And, you know, in the last 10 years, we've seen the city's ecosystem in Quebec City change a lot because, well, it's even more than 10 years. It's 20 years now, I think. So a lot of people have done 
the, the degree in interaction design and they're in very high places now. So it's something that we kind of that that's our goal as well with with the program that we're you know, it's slowly people are going to have these design skills and they're going to go work and change the, the workforce and add more add more design and add more user centered, um, uh, more of a user centered view um, or human centered view. Is, yeah, the, is there already uh, like internships set up in your program with with certain community partners that people are getting these workplace mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, like and the, the city was explicit about the fact that they knew this was a a skill gap in the in the city, um, and so that was one of the reasons they wanted to engage us is to um, identify what are the skills that are missing, um, and certainly design and user experience design they identified as a skill set that is currently not really employed in the city. Um, so one of the, one aspects of our research is to look at um, helping develop a bit more of a pipeline for the city. Um, and including experiential learning. So um, we we currently don't um, have an internship set up with the city, but there are other avenues for experiential learning. And so one of them is we have our capstone course, Design 410, 415, where students work on, with a community partner outside the university on a project throughout the whole year. Uh, and this last year, we identified with the city um, several projects that the students would work on within the city um, to develop, uh, and these were digital products. Uh, so one was like a fleet vehicle maintenance software tool. Another one was um, actually all the signage for um, all the uh, waste management facilities. So the eco stations, the recycling depots, um, and redesigning all the signage so that it's easier to use um, these facilities. Um, and so that ex- those experiential learning projects over the last year um, it turns out we're really successful and um, and ultimately ended up with products that the city could potentially use. Um, and so and there was another project where uh, the student redesigned all the forms. Yes. For, uh, yeah. Edmonton's. Uh, yeah. Edmonton. Yeah. It sounds really so, dry and boring. But, but the, the city, there's when you have, when you apply for something, you have to fill out a form. Um, you know, these are now digital yeah. forms. Uh, but the student actually had to look at these forms and and to design them so that they're more user friendly. And um, it's actually a lot of fun to work on. Well, <laughs> I mean, yeah. And you say like it might sound boring, but like I think that's what makes this so fascinating is that people are doing this every day. People are filling out forms. People are looking at signage. People are trying to navigate a mm. website and understanding that all of this thought. And I mean, you're teaching acting techniques and, you know, body yeah, buddy storming and all of these like yeah. really cool like role playing like all of this goes into a form. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think yeah. that that makes it like I think it says something about how vast and interesting not only design is, but like, yeah, you have to really consider everything about it's very human centered. It mm-hmm. sounds like it would be, you know, it's all about digital transformations and technical ecosystems and technology but it's so human centered and mm-hmm. i think that like my i'm just like wow mm-hmm. i never knew but i do love i <laughs> yeah. do love that partnership where students are getting these experiences to work with the, the city or mm-hmm. or wherever mm-hmm. it is and i'm sure that they're staying in contact uh, per, about you know potential positions with the city and stuff mm-hmm. like that like it just gives them a a little bit of um you know opening a door to uh being able to reach out to somebody like that. They're like, oh, this person did just did our forms. We need another person to come do this thing later. I love those partnerships 
that yeah. gets students out in the workforce. Yeah, and I just wanted to note that um, we're saying that um, we're interested in where design fits within digital transformation. We're not the only ones in the sense that um, uh, it's a fairly new research uh, research topic, but um, governments, large organizations, they hire more and more designers as well. So that's why we're also interested in this. So we're... Where are these these designers? What do they do? What type of uh, work do they do? What kind of skill sets do they do they need? Would they need more designers? So it's something that um, you know the government of Canada and all you know the government of Alberta as well. They have more and more uh, designers on uh, on board, and they see the the value of design. But they're still yeah. they, they have a lot of work to do. Yeah. So they, like a yeah. good analogy is to to kind of look at Microsoft and Apple in the 1990s. Microsoft was a very engineering-driven software company, uh, whereas Apple, um, through the leadership of Steve Jobs, was really design-oriented. They really uh, um, understood the, the fact that digital technology wasn't just about the, the actual technology. It was about mm -hmm. how people interacted with that technology and creating technology that was easy to use, was a beautiful experience, and Apple understood that. Uh, and that was, uh, and so it, it's taken Microsoft a good 20 years to adopt that philosophy. And so the, Microsoft has really um, put design much more at the center of their product development. And you saw, and you saw that over between the like kind of late 90s and then into the early 2000s, where they really uh, reimagined their company so that it was kind of more Apple-like. Um, and I think city organizations are really kind of going through that similar transformation of seeing digital technology as not just an engineering problem, but also seeing it as a design problem. Yeah, and a people. Yeah. A human-centered yeah. problem. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of humans and problems, do you guys see this project potentially being disrupted by the municipal election? Or is this like, are you locked in? For a few years, or is like no, no. These the, the, these kinds of uh, decisions for the government are, um, they're they're generally they wouldn't get impacted by okay. what, what kind of council you have. The, the one thing that might happen is you might have significant job cuts, or you might have an injection of uh, funding. So um, on a broad scale, but like in the specific detail for this, it, it, it'd be unlikely that it would have uh, an immediate okay. impact. Yeah. yeah, because sometimes you see like there's a change in leadership yeah. and things disappear or, you know, get renewed yeah. life into them. So yeah, I was just wondering, we we'll do see. have an election yeah. coming up, we'll but hopefully it stands the test. Digital transformation is not typically the kind of, um, you know, you wouldn't have that as your main platform topic if you're running for mayor. <laughs> uh, so I, I, it's, it's quite unlikely that it's going to be, you're going to see significant change depending on whatever mayor or councillor is in office. I mean, it's very beneficial to, I think, the general population that we have a user-friendly yep. experience when we're trying to access government services because a lot of times you're accessing them when you need them yeah so. exactly and when you sometimes when you feel more vulnerable or when yeah, you exactly. have a problem or yeah, yeah. It, it is unfortunate that i think some politicians might see digital transformation as an easy way to reduce staffing uh, yeah. because you you switch services to digital and you let the computers take care of uh service delivery and so there, you you could see that as um, that's always a risk that uh, for someone that wants to cut services or reduce funding that um, that and I think for designers that's something to be aware of is that you you we want to ensure that um, when 
digital transformation happens, we're not actually, um, yeah, you're not eliminating a service. You're not reducing the quality of the mm -hmm. service. You want to keep the same quality of service, but do it in a way that is going to be potentially yeah, more, more, yeah, more efficient, cost-effective for the government, but also um, maybe in most cases, uh, more convenient for the citizen. Yeah. I mean, that's a big discussion that's going on right now with um, technology replacing people are replacing yep. jobs. Automation, but when yep. you think about it, like automation, maybe it replaces like, you know, the self checkout. So you've replaced a cashier or a few cashiers that would work over the day with one machine. However, now and understanding <laughs> all of the not only computer science, the coding, the physical engineering of the box, but the user design that goes mm -hmm. into it, like that's actually creating a flourishing um, like job opportunities yep. for people that are working on these products. It's just so not it's on the front line. Yep. Not on the yep. front line. So I think that's a really interesting facet to like yeah, the and that's, automation. And, and, and so for the government, that's a whole, that's, it's a problem. And that's where education and, and, and a post-secondary institution is really critical in kind of laddering people that don't necessarily have these digital skills um, there are going to be a lot of people potentially left behind in this, um, you know, digital transformation in general, where what does the workforce look like to support a world that is largely digital that previously was not? And so now you need a whole skill for a workforce that is um, more digitally oriented. And, and right now we're actually working on uh, within our uh, digital experience design pathway at McEwen, we're hoping to deliver our nine courses that are in digital experience design for um, uh, people that are actually in the BDES, that Bachelor of Design, they could actually just do the nine courses as a certificate um, to, um, and these would be for um, people that already have a diploma or some other degree, uh, whether it's in social science, psychology, or something, and or they want to- yeah, potentially yeah. music. Yeah. Uh -huh. So yeah. we're so that's uh, so we understand that the, this is a big problem for government society is kind of this digital shift that we're having to do, and uh, we we really um, hope that our this this kind of shift in our programming might allow to help with that laddering of skills. Yeah, because right now, uh, if you want to take, we're offering nine courses in digital experience design, but if you want to uh, to take them, you need to be uh, in the bachelor. Uh, yeah, in the Bachelor of Design, you need to do the Bachelor of Design. We're working on, yeah, package, packaging it too, so it's uh, it's accessible for people who already have a diploma or a degree. And I don't know if you want to talk also about the uh, the minors that we're. Yeah, so like the last thing I kind of wanted yeah. to talk about, um, because again, new emerging field is changing very rapidly. You guys, as researchers, are doing research that then informs mm -hmm. study, which informs mm -hmm. teaching. You're looking for what skills do people need. Can you just kind of not plug, but like talk about um, the bachelor design program here mm -hmm. and kind of how it has changed um, and like you know, how you guys have adapted and how you're offering skill sets based on these mm -hmm. new skills you're seeing that are needed. Yeah, absolutely. So the Bachelor of Design, we launched in 2019 and it was... In we envisioned it to accommodate this kind of 21st century designer. What are the skill sets that the 21st century designer? And that's to see that um, shift of designers as an applied artist that really kind of knew the intuitive fine art skills of giving form to something, but now adding on the applied social science. So ensuring that we are creating graduates that really understand the human, the psychology of someone using these products. 
Um, and so that was how our BDES was, uh, it was from the ground up, it was built with that notion in mind of design. Um, and uh, so that means that our students are coming in right from year one of understanding the design process, how you um, understand the user, build empathy with the user. So there's kind of a discovery phase about when you're working on a project, um, then doing prototyping, imagining new solutions that hadn't existed before. That's a whole skill set that's really critical for a designer these days. Um, and then on top of that, doing testing, ensuring that once you build a product, that you put it in front of a real user and you see how does someone actually use it? Is it effective? Is it working? Um, so this goes well beyond the intuition of an applied artist. Yeah. This is now really turning into a bit more of a science, a quasi-science, uh, mm -hmm. uh, but still very um, much more rigorous and um, much more evidence-based. Um, and then you, and then ultimately you do an iteration uh, based on that testing to refine the product. Um, and so that, those are the core skill sets that we wanted to, all of our Bachelor of Design students to have. Uh, and then within that Bachelor of Design, we have two, um, four pathways. We have the visual communication design pathway. We have the digital experience design pathway. We have an illustration pathway. And then we have a lens-based and motion graphics pathway. And so in each of these pathways, those core skill sets are still the same. Um, the, the only difference, though, is that you're working on just a kind of more narrow um, field yeah. and applying those skill sets. Mm -hmm. Would you be interested, um, we're talking about doing some promotion for the show um, and doing one minute documentaries and stuff like that. And I've always heard such wonderful thing about the motion graphics um, department or like anything in design. Is there a way that we could come sometime? We can talk about this after. Um, <laughs> this is like totally in the middle, but I would love to to come and see like just like a, a very broad scope into all those different um fields like the, all those different branches of mm -hmm. your program yeah absolutely yeah. anytime yeah. yeah we yeah i have no uh, i can sell the project the, the, i can sell the program all day long <laughs> i love that and um we we also realized that well digital experience design or digital experience as a whole or user experience is very multi multidisciplinary in in nature so uh this made us realize that well actually at the moment, these courses, they live they live in design. So we have more of a, a design point of view of an, or design focus. But these skills are also uh, equally uh, or very important in other fields that are really close to uh, to design where when we develop digital products. Um, so computing science, any social, anyone working on um, studying social sciences, management, business, uh, people in communication. So we've started to build um, minors. So to we reached out to um, other other faculty to see if there would be some some interests and um, so far we have three minors yeah so um, we have a minor for the arts and science faculty and so that's for any students doing a bachelor of science or a bachelor of arts um, and so there's a whole range like in computing science for example is one of psychology them. yeah it could be psychology yeah. anthropology sociology um, and uh, we're offering our nine courses in digital experience design to those students as a minor. Um, and so that particular minor for Bachelor of Arts and Bachelor of Science has now been available for two years and it's really well subscribed. We have about uh, 10 students a year going into that. Uh, and then we open it up to um, a Bachelor of Commerce as well. So now business students are able to take it as a minor and now just this 
last year we just got approved for the Bachelor of Communication Studies as well. Oh. Um, yeah, and so Isabel explained it well, that, we, that uh, user experience design is quite a highly interdisciplinary field. And, um, and so we want to ensure that we have, um, we open up uh, digital experience design to other kinds of students that um, have an interest in digital products, but aren't necessarily, um, that don't have that particular training. And so they want to yeah, get those yeah. particular skills. I mean, at the heart of it, when you're teaching people how to be considerate of whether it's the user of their game, the reader of their textbook, the listener to a podcast or like a newscaster how those things are being consumed and how we can all make our projects efforts products more accessible to everyone i it's think so transferable at the core of it mm -hmm. it's one of the most transferable skills even interpersonal like relationships mm -hmm. and communications yeah. like being able to have empathy and put yourself in the place of the other when mm -hmm. thinking about what you do yeah. is probably Yep. Yeah, I mean, one some, of the uh, best uh, things you can ever <laughs> learn or teach. I mean, I'm a music student interning at our at our at our Bachelor of Communications TV studio. Like, it's it's I love collaboration, and this is something mm -hmm. that's like super beneficial for mm -hmm. almost every discipline. Yep. Yeah, and since we're we're still at the at the beginning of that, but we are seeing that um, it's changing also our uh, design classes because then now you have students that are coming that are not from design, that are not designers. And so far we're seeing that it brings a lot to the class as well. Mm -hmm. It changes, it opens up conversations, it brings different perspectives. So that's the goal also to include students that are not from design so that everyone can um, uh, can contribute and can learn from uh, from those other fields at the same time. So, and it does a better yeah. job simulating what it's actually like to work as a user experience designer, yeah. where you're never working just with designers, you're yeah. working with other disciplines. And so that's been another huge benefit. Okay. Well, I mean, this has been incredibly illuminating. Um, we are close to time. I don't want to keep you guys too much longer since we had a rough start. Um, but I want to leave it with both of you. Um, just if there's anything that either we forgot to ask or anything else that we haven't talked about that you think is really important, anything else you want to plug, anything like this is where you guys, the floor is yours. Key collaborators, like is there any, any like anybody that you want to collaborate yeah, with outs. that you, that you <laughs> haven't been able to yet? Well, yeah, we're always looking for uh, collaborators in yeah different government agencies or large organizations. So now we've started with the city, but um, we're always interested for new new partnerships and yeah new okay. research collaborations or or teaching uh, collaborations. So yeah. if any well, uh, yeah. municipality or government wants to reach out to you guys, where can they find you at just MAQ and your emails there? Yeah, yeah okay, exactly. Yep. All right, we'll try and post those in the description. Uh, yeah, and you're somewhere bias. in this mm. in this uh, <laughs> wherever you're listening right now. Somewhere will be these. Yeah, and do you want maybe to talk about the uh, Studio Four that you're always that we're always looking for projects? Yeah, that? like I think uh, experiential learning is really critical for the Bachelor of Design as a whole, and so we have multiple opportunities for students to get um, work experience, and so there's the capstone Design 410 415 where um, we are accepting projects throughout the whole year and they would start in September, but we're accepting them and we're looking for submissions in February. 
Um, and, and how so, would they? What do, would they do then if someone is interested? Yeah. So if they're so there's that one yeah. for all of the experiential learning opportunities. The best place to go is to the experiential learning office. Um, sorry, the experience, <laughs> experiential learning office, uh, and Gillian uh, Kemp and. Uh, uh, Tammy Ambery are the contacts for design, and uh, they would they would get the, um, they would get your organization in touch with us, um, and we would have you added for whether it's this capstone course, but also we have uh, multiple types of internships that are available uh, during the summer months as well mm -hmm. um, to have students work in your organization. Uh, and then outside of the capstone, we also have courses throughout our whole program where we always are on the lookout for interesting experiential learning projects that could be done in the classroom where you could have multiple students working on one of your um, one of your client problems. Fantastic. Thanks for listening. And we hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you want to keep the party going, don't forget to check out the links in the episode description. This has been another episode of Research Recasted, the knowledge mobilization podcast brought to you by the Office of Research Services and the Faculty of Fine Art and Communications at McEwen University. You can support this podcast by listening on your favorite podcasting platforms with new episodes launching every two weeks. And don't forget to follow and give us a like on Instagram at Research Recasted. Research Recasted is hosted and produced by Dylan Cave and Brittany Eklund. Music, sound design, and editing by Dylan Cave with research, copy editing, and scripting by Brittany Eklund. Our executive producers are Cynthia Pudu, Jason Malenko, and Ray Barry. Thanks for watching and stay cool. Stay cool.